Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth and final episode of the Home Podcast for 2020. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that the Home Podcast is recorded on the land of the Bunurong people, and we pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. For this episode this month, we have Jess on the podcast, who is an alumni of Monash and studied education here and she's recently become a graduate teacher so Jess could you please introduce yourself talk about what course she studied at Monash and anything else you want to mention of course hello and hi everybody Um, so my name is Jess and I am an alumni from Monash education so I studied the bachelor of education primary and secondary course and my two method areas were English and mathematics Uh, so right now I'm teaching as an English teacher in a high school So I'm teaching year eight, nine, and 10. And then um, from next year, I'm teaching mathematics at the same school. So I'm really, really excited for that. Um, And it's been an interesting year so far, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. It has been a very, very interesting year for everyone. So I guess the first question going off the topic of it being an interesting year for education and educators alike um, obviously when you, you've started teaching, you've come into a point where there was still remote learning. Yeah. So I guess what have you learned from that experience, um, as a graduate teacher and how do you think it will shape you as a teacher going into the future? Yeah. So I graduated from my course in the middle of this year. So in the middle of 2020, so I, uh, completed my final semester of uni during remote uni time. So that was a whole learning experience in itself. And I think that has actually really helped me relate to my students a little bit more. So they're completing all of their classes by Zoom and I can relate because I had to learn via Zoom as well, which is really tricky to do. And I'm sure anybody at uni um, can agree that learning on Zoom is pretty challenging. So I'm kind of glad that I had that one semester to really uh, be able to understand my students. And so Starting at the end of term three was really challenging. So I started in week nine of a school term, which um, if anyone uh, has any experience at that time of the year, it's all assessment. So I was basically coming in at the end of a unit of work and having to assess it, uh, not really sure what was going on with the unit, what they'd really been focusing on. And it was a lot of sort of catch up. So I think um, in terms of becoming a better teacher, I can understand how they've gone, how they've felt going through the remote learning period. And it's made me be able to adapt my lessons a lot quicker and a lot more creatively to make them engaging. So everyone talks about making engaging lessons, but that kind of all goes out the window when you have to teach on a Zoom lesson with, you know, 20 kids who don't have their cameras on. And uh, if anyone who's done Zoom learning at uni knows, it's you, you don't want to answer the questions that the teachers have and you just sort of stay silent. So I can empathise with my kids more and definitely can see where why it's tricky for them to learn on Zoom. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. You definitely came in at what sounds like not only a busy and strange time for education as a whole, but a busy and strange time in regards to assessments. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of solidified that teaching is a pretty stressful job, but with all of the support networks around like other teachers and your uh, mentor teacher and things like that, you can you can do it <laughs> yeah definitely and that's good to know that it is it is possible to jump in potentially at one of the hardest times to be an educator and still be able to succeed and want to keep yeah. kicking on so I guess 
going on from that, you might have answered this question a little bit, but it would be good if you could elaborate. What did you find is the, the hardest parts of uh, remote teaching and I guess given uh, still being at Monash in semester one, remote learning? Yeah, so I'll talk about teaching first. So the most difficult thing that, I've, that I had to deal with, and I was only part of the remote teaching sort of for context for only three weeks or four weeks um, in total. So not very long compared to a lot of teachers, but I do say that I was I look at it as in, in the way that I got to experience remote teaching because it's something that not many educators can say that they've you know done. Um, and it's definitely something that you don't get prepared for when you're at uni. So that experience, I think I'm pretty grateful for because it, it's kind of thrown me in the deep end of what it's like to be a teacher and maybe a little bit more prepared for the classroom even. Um, so the biggest challenge was having kids uh, disengaged so it's really hard to re-engage a student at the end of a term who's already completed you know like four months of zoom teaching um when they have their cameras off and they have their audio off and they don't want to talk <laughs> so it's hard to see where they're at with in terms of their learning and their progress um when you're then asked to assess their learning because that is something that as teachers uh, part of their role is assessment and reporting where the students are at so uh, that's been pretty challenging to gather all of that assessment with the limited resources that I do have. But yeah, it was really tricky to get to build a relationship with my students um, and get them to actually respond and be part of the lessons. Um, it was it really went back to sort of a didactic teaching method. So instead of having the kids working and talking with each other, they were listening to me give more like a lecture, which I think if you've uh, and now I suppose talking about Zoom learning as a student uh, when I was in my final semester, even I, um, like I was a pretty engaged student when I was at uni, but even by the end of the semester, I found myself turning my camera off and not really engaging with the lecturers very much. So I suppose I can see it from both sides. It's frustrating for the teachers, but also the kids are just a little bit over it by the end and um, you kind of just have to accept that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a, a difficult thing from from both perspectives i mean i've only yeah. had one perspective obviously but uh you can definitely understand how it would be frustrating for educators as well so what i want to do is jess i want to move a bit away from the the teaching side of things and we're going to go back to talking i guess about your your uni experience and your your uni journey as an mm -hmm. alumni and as a a teacher who's just uh graduated so we're going to go to your fourth year now and I guess the first question I have would be what was the biggest challenge that you, you had in fourth year? Uh, just I guess it gives fourth years coming into next year a bit of an idea of what they can expect and I guess what might be a bit difficult about it but sure. what might also not be too difficult. Sure. Um, my biggest challenge was feeling um, completely overwhelmed by the workload. So, for example, um, the research unit, which is part of the honours, uh, and the TPA unit, um, which is your transition, or TPE, I think, transition and professional engagement. And part of that unit is to complete the TPA, which is a major assessment that is required by all teachers now to get their Victorian Institute of Teaching um, registration. And everybody talks, how, talks about how stressful it is completing these two assessment tasks and I think because people are talking about how stressful it is you start to feel stressed so that was the biggest challenge for me was trying to deal with all of that stress 
whether it be from myself or from what other people have said, um, putting it onto me, if that makes sense. Um, so when people are saying like, oh, I'm so stressed about this, it makes you feel stressed out as well. Um, and I think also time management was one of my biggest stresses because I am notorious for being a procrastinator. And I think in fourth year, you really can't allow for that if you want to um, be a stress-free person because there is just so much to do. And I really had to work on my time management skills um, to get all of my assessments done. And as we know, they all seem to be due on the same weekend, which makes it even mm, worse. Definitely. So that was my biggest challenge, the workload. Compl- yeah, so you meant... Placement too. <laughs> you mentioned time management skills there. Was mm-hmm. there any skills or tips that you picked up that, that helped you feel a bit more on top of things? Yeah, that people so I, handy? I use a, it sounds really dorky, but I make an Excel spreadsheet with all of my assessments. Um, the weighting when they're due, um, yeah, so that, and then put them on a spreadsheet and then I order them from the date that they're due and I colour code them for the units as well. So it's a really nice little picture of when everything is due and how much it's worth. So if, for example, I had a 60% assignment due on one weekend, I can see that at the same time I also have a 50% assignment due uh, that same weekend. So it helped me break up or help me visualise when everything was due. Yeah, definitely. I do the exact same thing and it's quite a good it's, it's a quite good a good system. system. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's good to have them all there and have them listed out and it definitely helps a lot even in third year. Yeah, and so, I using a plan I didn't really work. So like a, a physical diary or my phone for assessments didn't work for me. So I needed to have it and I would put that picture as my background on my laptop. So every time I opened it up I could be reminded if something was due. Yeah, awesome. So definitely anyone that's out there wondering how to manage their workload and wondering how to get it a bit more organized have a look at excel see what you can do so i guess coming off that the next question i want to ask is what was the best part of fourth year what did you find the most valuable what did you find the most fun um, really spending time with all of my friends and making those friendships in fourth year was the most fun for me. So I think you get to a point in second semester where you realize, wow, this is our last semester and this is our last time together. So you really, um, t- you stop taking that for granted that you hold uni life and you really start to cherish your friendships that you're making at uni and go out and have some, like, have fun, go out to dinner, go see your friends from uni on the weekend not just in classes so that uh some of those are my favorite memories of just being with all of my friends so I was part of the like meta um club back then so going out with them was really fun so if you do get an opportunity to go to one of their events whether it be in the city or just at uni definitely get involved with anything that you can in fourth year because you will look back on those memories even you know six months later when you're a graduate and really miss those times where you had sort of less worries as a real adult. <laughs> yeah, so just take take on the most of the opportunities that you get and yeah, go from that there. Having a bit of a, you know, a take, take, have some of the fun of uni, not just working on your, you know, assignments as well. Obviously, yeah, definitely. get them done. <laughs> definitely. So leading on from that again, I guess the next question that links into that quite nicely is what was your biggest moment of relief? During fourth year, was there any point where you were just like, yes, I've got it, this is it? Um, for me, it was the poster presentation 
um afternoon or morning so when all of the um posters get presented for the research part um subject uh, and everybody is just in sort of a really happy excited mood because they've finally finished this big assessment and they get to present it to all their peers and you kind of feel like you're done with uni and it just feels like a nice it's sort of yeah it's a nice kind of final point of your degree and then also finishing up your final placement is a real um, kind of bittersweet moment because everybody finds that they start to really love their students and they get to know them really well after three or four weeks with them and you start to get into the groove of being a real teacher and then saying goodbye to that is almost hard because you, you've grown so fond of them and you're just excited to get started with your you know job and career. Yeah, definitely. So getting over that last little hurdle and then yeah. getting through that last placement and knowing that the next step is actually being in your own classroom. Yeah, like you don't have yeah. a year of uni, you're just straight, you're going into your career the next year. So it's a nice moment. Yeah, awesome. And when you graduated, mm-hmm. did you did you know what sector you wanted to work in or was it kind of a case no. of you were just going to take what job you got? No, so I had no idea. So being a primary and secondary um, graduate, I I thought that by the end of the four years I would have a clear idea of what I preferred um, going off lots of different placements. And honestly, by the end, I still couldn't decide what I wanted to do. Um, my plan was to teach um, doing casual relief teaching for the rest of the year and then get some shifts at different schools, so some primary, some high school. And then in my mind that was going to um, help me decide for, um, you know, going off what I liked more the most. But I ended up just uh, applying for a, a job at a high school that I really loved and um, I ended up getting the job, so I was pretty lucky there. Um so yeah, I still, you know, I still love primary and I might one day go back to primary and do and, and teach in that sector. But for now, I'm in the secondary. Yeah, I definitely. Like- prime sec um, students have the same problem. I know some people get a clear idea by the end, but there are some out there who just still love the whole prep to 12 um, journey. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's the, the beauty of education and the beauty of our course is that we have the opportunity to go between those sectors and yeah, exactly. experience both sides, which some educators might not want to do. Yeah. But I guess that's some of the reason people have been doing the primary, secondary courses that they want to have that opportunity to experience both. I know for myself when I start teaching, I would prefer to work in primary and then later on yeah. work in secondary. And it's just good to have that option and know that it's it's there and it's going to be yeah. manageable. And all um, of the skills you learn in primary are really applicable to the secondary as well. So um, at the start of next year, I'll have two year seven classes. So it's going to, you know, their first ever experience in high school. And especially after having a grade six during a pandemic, so it will be really nice to use my primary school skills to help them transition to high school. So I think that's really a benefit of the double of the dual sector course is that it, um, it helps you understand where the students are coming from a little bit better and how you can best support them as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. There's, it wouldn't say an extra skill set, but it just feels like if the opportunity does arise, you're more prepared in a sense to to jump into another yeah. sector and jump into a, another experience, which is exactly. really good to have. So on the topic of fourth year, is there any tips that you have 
for students going into their fourth year next year, given we've just gone through remote learning and that it's been completely different of a lead up to what it would be. Is there any tips that you have that you think might help people or any words of advice? Um, my biggest word of advice that I always give to third years going into fourth years is to spend the summer before just having a bit of a relaxed time. So don't stress too much about what your research is going to be about. Um, you really don't have to start thinking about that until you get to semester one. So the first few weeks of the of that honours unit, um, you work towards finding a problem that you have seen in the education department, like field that you want to, you know, do some research in and you actually get some structured time to work on that and come up with, come up with some ideas. Of course, if you want to have a think about it during the break of between third and fourth year, then go for it. But my biggest word of advice has always been to just take a step back um, and, yeah, really just relax and enjoy the break before you get um, you know, boggled down into all of the assessments that are, you know, that come with fourth year. Um, my other piece of advice uh, with in regards to remote, make sure you try and stay really organised coming back to face-to-face um, classes, so like on, on-campus learning because you would have gotten so used to being, you know, just at home in bed doing your classes, your camera turned off. Uh, make sure you really try and be an active member of the classes once you return because I think your teachers will really appreciate that and you know, your lecturers will really appreciate you, you know, taking the initiative to be part of the discussions and making an effort to respond to questions in class because they've spent almost a whole year really, really trying to engage you through remote teaching and it'll be, you know, nice for them to be thanked with your participation in their classes and you'll learn a lot from that as well. Yeah, definitely. And that is some some great advice there and I know it's advice that I'll definitely be taking on and looking forward to so it's it's good to know that and good for people to to hear that i guess and and know that it's it's okay to take a break and not to burn yourself out before yeah and i think you start the year yeah and on there where you've got where you just said um have a break just because you're in fourth year doesn't mean that you're not entitled to get an extension for an assignment should you need it so i feel like there's a lot of pressure to not take extensions but if you're really struggling and you're having a really hard time and it's starting to affect you um, mentally and emotionally and physically even you can speak up just talk to your teachers talk to your um your tutors and I'm sure given this year we've had they will be more than happy to grant an extension um if should you need one I mean obviously there are people who take advantage of that system but like there's no point burning yourself out and stressing yourself out over whether or not you should go- ask for an extension when you can easily just ask for it and and get one and then you'll have a whole bunch of stress taken off your shoulders. Yeah, definitely. Our, our greatest resource, I guess, is is reaching out for help and asking for it when we need it. So it's always good to, I guess, hear someone else say that and yeah. hear someone remind you that it is okay to yeah. to be vulnerable at times and ask for those, yeah. those extensions because it can be quite a hard thing to admit that yeah. everything's getting on top of you and that sometimes you need just a few extra days to get it done. So it'll be good for people to hear that and get that reminder that it is okay to reach out um, for those extensions. Um, Moving on from that, I guess, obviously it's going to be such a weird landscape, (laughs) I guess, next year and the next few years for 
for students who are looking for jobs and applying for jobs. Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips for uh, looking at jobs, applying for jobs, yeah. when we should start looking for jobs, yeah. the best ways to apply for jobs and how to approach them? Any advice in um, general? So my biggest advice, obviously every teaching job that you have will require you to write key selection criteria. So you'll hear a lot about those in fourth year, but basically it's the job application questions and you need about a one-page response for each question. Uh, it's a pretty lengthy document. Uh, you know, some jobs can have up to five or six different key selection criteria, but your responses need to be personal to you and they need to show that you can actually use examples of how you've displayed the skills that they're looking for. So if a question is asking you about um, your demonstrated ability to use the high-impact teaching strategies, don't spend a whole page of writing telling the employer what the hits are because they know what they are. They implement them every single day. They want to see how you actually implement them in your own teaching. And when you're applying for a graduate role, if it specifically says a graduate role, they're not looking for experience. They're looking for your understanding and that you can show that through your placements, you've got experience in them. So for example, if you applied for an ongoing maths job where you're up against every other maths teacher who's been doing it for 20, 30 years, they're probably looking for someone with years and years of experience in in that regard. But when I talk about it, they want you to show that you can demonstrate your experience as a graduate, that's relating to your placements. So how have you shown that you've used a hits on placement? How have you shown that you can implement a reading strategy in a primary school from your placement experiences? So you really need to be specific with the skills that they're asking for and really show them that you can do it um, and not just know the definition of it. So that's with the key selection criteria. Um, with every other job, with every job application, you also should include a cover letter and a resume. So keep the resume nice and short and sharp. Um, KISS is the acronym there, so keep it simple. And your cover letter needs to be personal to the school. So li- actually address it to the person who is doing the hiring, and that is on most of the application website like websites um, information there. So on recruitment online. Address it to them. Don't say the wrong school's name in your application. That will automatically get you, um, you know, in a negative mindset when they're reading your application. And, yeah, put put a lot of effort into them to make them good rather than just trying to spit out 50 different applications that are not personal, not really related to you, and don't really discuss the school's values. So if you have a school that you really love and you really want to work there one day, actually go to the school's website have a look at their values and incorporate those values into your application so that when they're reading it, they think, wow, this person really fits in with our school culture. They've done their research on our school. They actually care about us and they really want to work here. And then you will be setting yourself apart from other applicants who might have done a surface level application that didn't really you know, speak specifically about the school. Yeah, definitely. So it's definitely a case of... of- uh, quality over yes. qu- uh, quantity. Yeah, um, exactly. I've heard with job applications, and I know sending out a hundred applications because you're likely to get zero return if that's what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, and it's not like we're applying for Christmas casual <laughs> jobs anymore. It's applying for a, for a job yeah. that could be lasting for a while. So the schools definitely want the best the best possible applicants that they yeah. can get, and they're not going to get that from someone who's just pumping out 
a hundred applications a day. So mm-hmm. it's definitely solid advice to make sure that you're thinking about your application, taking time and not just applying for every definitely. single job that you see. So definitely. And the best time good. to apply would be um, whenever you see an application, uh, I, I used to check recruitment online every other day for any new jobs that were posted. Um, and if you know that your VIT registration is likely to be um, approved by the time that the job starts, just apply. Um, there's no right or wrong time to apply. Just keep in mind that you do need, obviously, a registration to teach. But in some special circumstances, you can get that permission to teach from VIT and the school. But that's very um, limited and very special circumstances where that is available. So it's not something to rely on. Yeah, definitely. Well, that has been some awesome advice um, that I will be taking on myself and I'm sure other students who listen to this um, will be taking on. Before we finish off, is there anything that you would like to say or anything that you would like to to pass on as some final words before we finish off? Yep. Um, My final sort of words would be that I really think it's um, something not to do when you start comparing yourself to other pre-service teachers. So, for example, some people are really, really creative and they have resources from first year that they keep in one big, you know, binder and it's absolutely amazing and they've put in a lot of work into their um, resources and they've got all of the, the teaching standards printed out on beautiful posters and they can write in their own examples as they've been going through their course. If you get to fourth year and you have one of your friends who's done this and you're not someone who's done this, don't compare yourself to them. You're just as successful in your own regard and just because they do something a little bit different or it looks more extravagant than what you've done doesn't mean they're any better teacher than you are. Uh, And, yeah, just try not to compare yourself to those sorts of teachers. And when I say that, I also mean like the Instagram teachers that we all start following. Um, So some people are really, really popular. They've got lots of followers. Um, They have these amazing uh, pay teachers pay teachers websites and um yeah it's it's difficult to not compare your own ability to that because you see these really experienced amazing teachers creating all this incredible content and I think it makes us look at ourselves and compare ourselves which yeah is really not a good thing to do so if you are someone who does that um snap out of it (laughs) basically it's not good it's not healthy and yeah believe in yourself as a teacher Definitely. That is some awesome closing remarks and some great advice. And with that, we are going to finish off. So Jess, thank you for coming on and having a chat today. I hope you found this as valuable and fun and enjoyable as the students who listen to this hopefully (laughs) will. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great to chat and catch up with you. Absolutely. So thank you for coming on. And that will be the last episode of the Home Podcast for 2020, hopefully to be back next year. So thank you for listening. Thank you for coming on the ride. I hope you have found it enjoyable. I hope you have found it entertaining. And most of all, I hope you have got some advice that has helped you along the way and what has been a difficult year. So everybody stay safe. Thank you for listening to the home podcast and hopefully I will get the opportunity to share my thoughts and voice with you guys in the future. Thank you.